Well, we've been in a series. Uh, we started it some time ago, a couple weeks, in the book of Proverbs. It's loaded with wisdom. It's part of Israel's wisdom literature, not to puff us up with knowledge, but to help us to live life better. In today's day and age, many people aren't doing so, so good. Someone said to me, I can't believe you're going to Israel. Isn't it dangerous there? Well, apparently not as dangerous as Virginia. I mean, folks, the, the world is a dangerous neighborhood. Yeah, baby, we can't live in a cave. We, we trust God. We're immortal, aren't we? Until the moment the Lord says, come home. <laughs> and uh, what difference does it make where that's from? Just as long as we're doing what he wants us to do. So we can't live in fear and and uh, assume a defensive posture. We have to just get out there and trust God for our, for our well-being. This is a day of random acts of violence. You know, when I grew up, crime made sense. Isn't that a good sound bite? He said, what? But I mean it. I mean, someone would steal something because they needed it or wanted it. You know, if you hold someone up for money, it's perfectly logical. I understand that. But today you see terrible, violent crimes, and we ask ourselves the questions, why? What in the world? Uh, folks, having divorced ourselves as a society from the Creator, we've cut ourselves off from wisdom, from skillfulness in living. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here with you diving into this book, which is a container of the voice of God in creative ways. Wisdom, skillfulness in living life. We'll see more of it. Take a look, it's Proverbs chapter one, verse eight. That's where we'll continue tonight. Proverbs chapter one, verse eight. Look how it begins. Hear, my son. You know, we introduced the author uh, when we began the series of Solomon, it's Solomon. And I'm one of those people who who think that the, the son he's referring to here is Rehoboam, Rehoboam. Now, Dr. Jim Hastings is just, I think, Jim, you're finishing? Have finished? You, you, you don't want anything to do with me? Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Well, in Dr. Jim's Bible study class, they've gone through Proverbs, and do you think I'm right about this being Rehoboam? Look at that, I'm in good company. What would I have done if Dr. Jim said, no, you're all washed up? I, I'd have to sell insurance. I mean, what are you going to... Yeah, uh, so Solomon is writing his... But listen, but don't limit it to Solomon and his son. The scriptures apply to all of us who listened with an open heart. So this applies to us. He says, hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Do you know that verse contains a very striking presumption, if you look at it carefully. The presumption is that godly instruction and teaching is to take place in the home and is to be disseminated by father and mother. I, I, I'm not reading that into the text, am I? That's, that's, what, it sort of, that's what it says. Here, God's plan is for a married man and woman to stay married and together to raise their children in the ways of God. Do you agree with that? Yeah, that's hard. It's hard to swallow. I'll tell you what. I mean, God has placed, according to this verse and many other passages, God has placed the primary responsibility for the moral instruction of a child with the child's parents. Both, both parents, both father and mother, have a vital role in training their children. So raising kids, I'm, 
I'm lifting from the text here. Raising kids is not primarily the school's responsibility. And raising kids is surely not the government's responsibility. And raising kids, can you buy this, is not even the church's primary responsibility. Folks, raising children is the responsibility of their parents. The two have become one through the covenant of marriage and are to be as one in the teaching of and enforcing of moral guidelines for their children. Someone has said teaching kids to count is not nearly as important as teaching kids what counts. That's to take place in the home. Parents are supposed to do this. It's their responsibility. God says so. And do you know what happens when when parenting happens God's way? Kids grow up of feeling loved, safe, and more stable. Now, I know even as I'm speaking to you about these things, I can see even by your countenance and nonverbals, um, I've made you feel uncomfortable. Uh, I, uh, folks, let's be honest. We have really drifted from God's standards uh, of parenting, have we not? For crying out loud, I don't mean to hurt anybody, but we have to deal with the text before us. All have sinned and fallen short of the standards of God, even with reference to marriage and the family. So, so uh, yeah, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And as much as I don't want to add salt to anyone's wound, please don't misunderstand, I would really, I would really love to prevent uh, certain ones here from making the mistakes of others. I, I would really love folks to live by biblical principles of parenting and marriage and, and, and all the rest. Now, you, you know, it, it talks about a father and a mother. and That's very clear, a male and a female. And to get around it, do you know there's a movement now um, to, to, to redefine <laughs> a, a fatherhood and motherhood? Uh, they're, 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 folks are seeking to change the terms, but, 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 but we can't go that way. We can't go that way. No, no, no. We, we have to take our marching orders from the, from the scriptures. And so, so the bounds of father, moral bounds of father and a mother staying together uh, uh, in part to their children. You know what that says to the child? We together have you in common. And what we have in common is a strong interest in how you live. Yeah, kids grow up knowing that. I remember when I was a kid, I probably told you this. I grew up in New York, so when we wanted to camp, it was urban camping, meaning we would sleep on the roof of a building. That's what we did. There was a, a building with a flat roof, not far from where I lived. That's where we'd camp out, so to speak. And uh, I remember one time the, kid, the boys, they, they said, uh, Hey, let's camp out tonight. All the guys said, okay, good. I got I to gotta check with my, my mom. I got to check with my dad. And I remember thinking, man, I wish I had to check with my parents. I mean, I could have stayed out half a year. I don't even think they'd know I was gone. I'm not lying to you. My father was caught up with his alcoholism and other kinds of addictions, stuff like that. He never beat me. I don't remember being abused or anything like that. But the emotional impact of his distance was that Nobody really cares how I live. I would have loved to be spanked. You know that? 
Spanking means I care so much about how you live. I don't want you to cross the line, step out of bounds. I didn't have any of that. Kids used to say, boy, Stuart, you really got it licked. You could just do whatever you want. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But inside, I used to think this is terrible. I just feel undervalued for crying out loud. My parents are just so occupied with their stuff. I could just come and go as I, that's no, no kid wants to feel that. So, so there was a study done by educators. Uh, they looked to a normal elementary school playground and you know, they have a chain link fence. You know, around playgrounds, keep the kids contained. And the teachers, uh, as a hypothesis, suggested, you know, that fence is not good. It uh, inhibits the kids, makes them feel restrained and confined. Let's do an experiment. Let's get rid of the fence so the kids can just be free. So they took down the fence. And to their surprise, you know what the kids did? They huddled around together in the center of the playground, even closer to one another than ever before. They were terrified. Do you mean there's nobody out there older, bigger, wiser than us to set bounds for us. They didn't want freedom. I remember my dog, we were in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I remember my wife opened the door of the house, my dog ran out. Oh my goodness, we didn't think we'd ever get her back. It was raining out there and all the rest. Two hours later, there's a scratch on the door, and here comes my dog, you know, all wet and shaky and stuff like that. It's as she looked us in the eye, you know, we grabbed her up and dried her up, put a towel around her. It's as if she could say, oh, it's so good. To be, uh, to be home, you know, uh, that freedom is not all it's cracked up to be. They said, oh, no, I like it when you t- tell me what to do and you, when you wrap your arms around me. But anyway, that's what this is saying. Solomon says this. A father's instruction, a mother's teaching uh, gives kids a sense of being loved. And it's an act of love to set and enforce godly boundaries for your kids. But wait a second. What if... Uh, you don't know how to do it because you were not raised by two godly parents yourself. What if, that, what, what if that's true of you? What if, what if your children, uh, what if you're a single parent? You're raising your kids alone. What if you're married, but I hate to bring this up. What if you're married, but your spouse doesn't know the Lord? You're moving in a God-word direction, but he or she isn't. What, what, what about all this stuff? Is there no hope for you and your children? Oh, no, there is hope. Listen, I want to share with you a powerful verse. And it was written by Solomon's daddy, David. David said this in Psalm 27, verse 10. Listen to this. David said, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. What a rejection message, to be rejected by both parents. How do you overcome such a deep rejection message? I know how, by hearing of and accepting an even deeper acceptance message. David envisioned that that was a possibility because he said, all this has happened, but the Lord will take me up. My father was too busy for me, but the Lord. My mother was not unavailable. But the Lord, my parents split, but the Lord. You see what I mean? Of course there's hope. So listen, I just got to tell you something. You will fail. You have failed probably as a parent, as have I, in many respects, for sure. You, you are not all, I am not all our kids need us to be. 
So how can they make it? What hope is there for them? I'll tell you how. They need to be introduced to the only perfect one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you must do this as soon as possible. Do not drag your feet. You must lead your child, your grandchild to the Lord as soon as possible. I didn't say they go through life unscathed and the woundedness of a dysfunctional family. Sure, it stays with them. But I'm telling you, they can overcome when they go through life with the perfect parent none of us have ever had. God Almighty and his son, big brother, the Lord Jesus. Introduce your kids. Introduce your kids to the Lord Jesus as soon as possible. Listen, I'm to, I would like my kids when they were young to thrive academically, but more importantly than that, I wanted them to be reconciled to their maker as soon as possible. Because I knew, oh God, I lack, I'm flawed. I don't know how to do this. I have got to get them under your wing as soon as possible. Show your kids how dependent you are on the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe they'll follow, maybe they'll follow suit. So folks, God's perfect parenting plan is for father and mother to partner together in raising their children according to godly principles. But you know, as much as I do, that whole notion, God's perfect parenting plan has been under assault and attack in our country for some time. In Tennessee, court officials recently replaced the words in court documents. They replaced the words mother and father with gender neutral words, parent one and parent two. Well, the people in the volunteer state, thank God for them, were up in arms. They went crazy and wrote letters and protested and all the rest, quite an uproar. In fact, one mother wrote a letter to the court officials. She said, look at here, I didn't spend over 10 hours struggling through labor in order for you to call me parent one or parent two. I'm the child's mother. So <laughs> the policy, the policy, just recently this happened. The policy was reversed. Isn't that good? But you know what they said? The court leader said, well, we're just trying to act in harmony with the decision of our wonderful Supreme Court. That's what they said. You know, anyway, the policy was reversed, but uh, we won a battle, but we didn't win the war. Oh, my heavens. We're in a war for marriage and, and family. It's far from over. And God wants us to know in the book of Proverbs uh, that uh, a father and a mother's godly instruction in the home, when submitted to and respected by their children. You know what it does? It makes kids look more attractive. Regardless of their physical attributes, a uh, respectful, submissive, obedient child raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that's just a more attractive product. I mean, it says so here, verse 9. Indeed, they, that's a reference to the parents' godly guidelines for life. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head. It's saying this to the child, to your head, and ornaments about your neck. Ah. Makes a child more attractive when you see a polite, respectful, a child submitting to authority, parental, educational, law enforcement, all the rest. But even Christian parents can have children who go astray. Isn't that true? Even Christian parents who've done, from a human point of view, all things well, 
still could have children who drift. You know, this particularly uh, seems to happen during the teenage years. Did you know that? Teenagers. Man, oh man, oh man. They're rough. Why? I mean, you have your obedient, compliant uh, child, and then as a preteen or as a teenager, you're living with a monster. What, what in the world happened? Well, it's as confusing to your teenager as it might be to you. But they don't have a clue as to what's motivating them. So you say, why did you do that? They don't have any idea. They don't, they don't know what's going on. And so, see, here's what's happening. They, they know they're no longer your little kid who used to crawl up on your lap and get hugs and all that kind of stuff. But they also know they're not an independent adult. So they say, who am I? And that's the big deal about the teenage years, identity crisis. I'm not like my little brother anymore. I'm not like my big brother who's gone off to college and got a job. Who am I? They don't know. So in order to find out who they are, they identify with a group of peers. Ah, they group, and they identify with a group of peers whose value system is different than yours. They listen to different music. You hate it. It gives you a headache. You say to them, how do you call that music? Can you even hear? Can you make out the words? You know, and they dress differently, don't they, than you. They, they, their pants are at a different level. It's very fascinating phenomenon. I don't know how they stay up. But anyway, they, and, and, they, uh, and they, wa they want to do things to their body. They want to tout to them and pierce them and all the rest. They get unusual hairstyles, don't they? It's very fascinating how they do it. It's like shaved and engraved and imprinted and just colors and all this. I mean, holy Toledo. It takes them like three hours to get ready to, to go out. I mean, but this is what they do. And I'll tell you why they do it. It's their way of differentiating themselves from their parents. You see, they're, they're in process. They're no longer a little child. They're not a free and independent adult yet. The peer group is their stopping point on the way to adult independence. It happens to all of us. You were there. So was I. You had a peer group of kids, you know, and you, you used to uh, choose uh, things to do and recreational pursuits entirely different than your parents. You question your parents and their values and all the rest. I have to tell you something. It's sort of normal. I didn't say it's fun, but it's sort of normal. The issue is not the peer group. Uh, everyone stops off on the peer group, and eventually we move past it on the way to maturity. You see what I mean? The problem is if the peer group is a bad peer group. That's the problem. Not the notion of the peer group, but if it's a bad peer group. Now, this being the case... Uh, I, I beseech you, do everything in your power to make sure your children and grandchildren are part of a good peer group. Now, how can you do that? Well, you take them to church. Now, I didn't say every young person in church and every church youth group is on target. I didn't say that. But if it's a good and godly church under good leadership, the uh, conventional values will be holy and godly Kids will pick that up. The tie that binds will not be rebellion and stealing and smoking and drinking and snorting and all the rest. Uh, it, it'll be the things of God. I, I, I remember when my kids were 
were younger, when we first came to this church a long time ago, they didn't want to go to the children's program, the youth group. They didn't know anybody. So this is a terrible thing to do, but I did it. I, I told them, well, here's the deal. We're going, uh, and, but I'm going to sweeten it up for you. I'm going to give each of you $5 each Sunday for four Sundays if you don't complain. You just go. And that, I bribed them is what I, let's, what can I tell you? And, uh, but it really worked because I knew by the fourth Sunday, they'll make friends. But you don't need to know everybody. You just need a, a close, you know, they went to our camp here, Sagemont Camp, one of the camps. Oh, my heavens. It changed their lives, changed their lives. And I never punished my three boys by keeping them away from the church youth group. That's the worst thing to do. Discipline them in other ways. Are you kidding me? I did everything it took to get them to every youth activity possible. And if, I'll tell you this, if this church didn't have a great children's program and youth program, if it didn't, I don't think you should be here. That's, Pastor, I apologize. But, but, but if you're a parent and a grandparent, for crying out loud, that's where the invest. that's why the first beautiful building built here what, was the children's building, wasn't it? Wasn't it? I remember our pastor's philosophy of it. Could have done anything. We could have built this first. But he would rather have uh, adults be a little uncomfortable for a spell <laughs> and create an environment where kids were excited. Look at the fish. They come to see the fish and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, folks, they're going to relate to a peer group. If, you, if you're not a regular uh, attender of this church, now the statistics say the average Christian goes to church two times a week. What is happening? Two Sundays a month. What's happening the other two Sundays? To your kids. I think if I was you, I would come more regularly for them. What if you don't like the music? Too bad. You're already ruined. <laughs> but the kids, the kids, the children's, the, the teenagers, that's, the, that's, that's where the priority has to, has to be. So, so uh, <laughs> It's the peer group that's very, very important, and it better be a good peer group. Now, Solomon, being very wise, understood the allure of a peer group, and he also understood the potential dangers of a kid being influenced by the wrong peer group. And therefore, he gives a warning to his son, whom he loved. Here it is, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, don't consent. It's just a father's plain instruction. Don't listen to them, son. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. That's, you see, that's the invitation. Folks, that is the... Uh, man, Solomon knew about modern-day gangs. But, you know what the offer here, the enticing offer of the gang is? Wealth without work. Yeah. It's the offer of something for nothing. It's the offer of immediate gratification. You don't have to wait on it, and you don't have to work for it. Someone else has it. Let's take it. Man, that's an analysis of modern-day gang behavior right there. Throw in, verse 14, throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. You know what the offer there is? We'll be family. Now, why in the world would the offer of family be attractive? It's attractive to kids. 
whose emotional needs are not being met by their family of origin. By their family of origin. Dads, you can be as successful as you possibly can in your vocation. But if you're not meeting your kids' emotional needs, you have failed them miserably. And they'll be forced to have those needs met elsewhere. They will be more susceptible to this enticing offer. Be part of when I was a kid in New York, look at I'm talking about myself tonight because I'm interested in me. When I was a kid, I grew up in New York, one of these projects that, you know, it was low-income project. And none of us had stable families, not a one of us. If we had two parents, there was still, pro- I mean, every, any one of our dads, everyone was an alcoholic or a gangster. Every, and that's just the way it was. You know what we used to do every night? Hang out in the park. Every one of us, little kids. Why? We were the family. We became each other's family because we couldn't get our emotional needs met at home. So we chose, it was very enticing. We chose the surrogate family of the gang. We didn't call them gangs in those days. We just hung out. That's what we did. What did we do? Nothing of value. Nothing, nothing good. My son, Solomon, appeals to his son. Verse 15, don't walk in in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. Their feet run to evil. They hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it's useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. Look what Solomon is saying. He's saying birds are smart enough to, if they see a net pulled and they're going to get caught in it, they won't fly into the net. But these gang members are stupider than birds. They're not smart enough to avoid a net of their own making. Look, verse 18, they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. The life expectancy of kids on the street is really short. They die. They see their friends die young, and still they haven't learned from it. There's no wisdom. But... There is wisdom, verse 20. Wisdom whispers in the ear of a select few. Oh, no. Wisdom shouts in the public arena. Wisdom shouts in the street. Not only that, she lifts up her voice in the public square. Look at this. Wisdom is a concept, isn't it? It's an it, wisdom, it. But here it's what we call, it's personified. So the, so the concept of wisdom is made to look like a woman. Lady wisdom. And how do you treat a lady? With honor, with respect, with love, and with affection. And so God casts his voice. His is the voice of wisdom. In the personified person of a lady. Lady wisdom. But, but wait just a second. Don't, don't. Don't think this lady is some little weakling who you can push. Are you kidding me? She is no weak lady at all. She shouts. She lifts up her voice. She is fired up. What this lady has to say, Lady Wisdom, is vital, and she knows it. And so it says in verse 21, at the head of the noisy streets, she cries right at the head of the noisy street. She cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. Folks, lady wisdom is right out there, not within the confines of a church, 
No. Lady Wisdom's voice is available to anyone who has ears to hear. Of course, Lady Wisdom's voice is the voice of Almighty God. All wisdom resides with him. Nobody can say, I didn't know better. I didn't hear. I didn't have access. No way. God has made his principles of skillful living uh, uh, available to everyone who, I tell you, wisdom is calling. Is anybody listening? Listen to me. 33 million guys thought it was an acceptable thing to enlist the services of women to whom they are not married. And then it was hacked or something. The list was made public and names are coming out. Do you know some have taken their own lives because of the shame of it all? And you know what others are doing? Here's their principle of wise morality. Now they want to sue the company, whatever it's called, uh, for making their names vulnerable. It's just so twisted, crazy. Morality, are you, are you kidding me? You don't, you, don't, you don't even... Some guy in Virginia has trouble at work, is distressed by societal things or who he is, and in broad daylight takes a gun and shoots a beautiful woman and a, and a, and, and a young photographer and it takes his own life. Folks, the world is suggesting to us its way of living. Don't you listen. It's not where it requires no faith to distinguish lady wisdom from the voice of wisdom in the world. And it's not working. Folks, it's, listen to me. If worldly ways were producing the fruit of God's spirit, ah, maybe we should give a listening ear, but it's not. People are dying. It's the living dying. Money is not meeting needs. Fame is not meeting needs. Nobody can keep their word. Nobody trusts anyone. Cynicism reigns supreme, but not in our community. We could sleep at night. Lady Wisdom says, don't listen to the voice of the smooth-talking woman. <laughs> Lady Wisdom says, do things God's way. God is not trying to cramp our style. God has set bounds around our behaviors because the creator of the universe, transcendent deity, as big as he is, condescends and says, I know you. I know your name. You are mine. I care about how you live. Whose voice are you listening to, oh God, I don't know how to manage my finances, raise my kids, be faithful to my spouse, stay off of addicting stuff, I don't know how to, no, it's not true. God says, I'm screaming out to you in the marketplace and in the streets. Heed the voice of wisdom. She's calling. Is anybody listening? I have an ambition. I'm stuck in this container called life for now. So are you. Might as well develop some better mastery over it. Might as well not be subject to indebtedness, materialism, impulsivity, need for immediate gratification. Might as well be free from it all. Might as well respectfully, lovingly listen to the voice of Lady Wisdom. She's calling to us here at Sagemont Church. Wisdom is calling. Is anybody listening? Is anybody listening? Oh, God in heaven, give us ears to hear.
help us to separate out the wisdom of the world, which is not wisdom at all, from the wisdom which transcends it all. It's sourced from you, high and lifted up. Oh God, we have been saved from the penalty of our sin. Now, save us from the throes of this life so that we could look like saved people, salt and light, having no cause for shame, not dragging your name through the mud, running the race with endurance and finishing well. Thank you, Abba, Father, for rules, regulations and commandments, absolute standards of morality, precepts that do not change. Thank you for all these. Thank you for fencing us in. Oh God, it shows us you love us, you care about us. It makes us to feel safe and secure. Heavenly Father, make us to be more like you with ears to hear. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.